Well, it is great to be here. Uh, my name is Jonathan. For those of you who might not know me or just don't recognize me with a beard, uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to be here uh, this morning to be able to open the Word of God with you. Well, I came across a story this week uh, about a young girl. I think she was about three years old, and unfortunately, she, she got attacked by a dog. She was left, uh, thankfully, alive. She was fine, but she had scars across her face, uh, around her mouth, and actually her eyes. So after a little bit of recovery, her and her family decided they wanted to go out and kind of celebrate, and so they ended up going to a KFC. And they went into this KFC, and, and the unthinkable actually happened. The, the manager came out and said to them, I'm going to have to ask you guys to leave. In fact, your scars on your daughter are scaring away the other customers. You guys are going to have to leave. Well, well, sure enough, you know, this ended up on social media and it blew up. People were outraged that this would actually happen. They, they called for KFC to do a full investigation. They, they started that. KFC themselves even pledged $30,000 to help this little girl with her medical bills. After that, a GoFundMe page started up and people raised in one week $135,000. There was a massive outpouring of both sort of outrage and community community support for this little girl. That is, until one week later, the story fully came out. It turns out someone was paying attention to their story and realized actually the KFC they claimed to have gone in had been closed for several years. In fact, there was no record on any sort of video camera that they had in their other locations that showed them ever showing up in a KFC. The entire thing was a hoax. Now, the, the happy part of this story is that this little girl who, who actually did uh, get attacked, she ended up actually getting the medical attention she needed. But it certainly makes you think about what you read online, doesn't it? It makes you wonder about all the things that you see, and it makes you wonder, well, is this actually true? Right? It takes a good deal of discernment to try and figure that out. The old adage, you can't believe everything you hear, is certainly still true, especially when it comes to what you read online. It's easy to get taken in by all kinds of, of misinformation and, and kind of false news that is out there. But I think for us as Christians, it's even more important, not only to, to be careful about what has actually happened and, and what hasn't, but actually to be able to consider and discern, you know, what are the worldviews that people have when we hear these different messages? When we're actually hearing and reading stuff online, what, what background is this coming from? What worldview is putting this forward? We have to ask, is that actually what the Bible is calling us to do? See, we've been doing this series called Resilient Disciples, looking at the, the characteristics that define a, a resilient disciple of Jesus. As we live in this very digital age, this very fast-paced world, what does it look like to be faithful to Jesus even now? So last week, we looked at sort of the first mark or the first characteristic of a resilient disciple here, experiencing Jesus. We actually need to know Jesus, not just know about him, but actually genuinely have a relationship with him. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at the, the second one here, this cultural discernment. How do we actually understand the messages, the worldviews, the things we read, whether it's online or, or in print or wherever, how do we discern this with a biblical lens? So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And so we're gonna take just a little bit of time, talk about this, this need for cultural discernment. Right, we've talked in the past throughout this series just about how fast-paced our world has become. 
It seems like things are always continuing, constantly changing at this rapid pace. In fact, when I studied at, at SFU, I got to a point in my classes where my professors, they just stopped assigning textbooks because they realized that by the time a textbook was printed, compiled, edited, and actually sent out, it was already out of date. So they just stopped assigning textbooks and we just had to read stuff online because that was the only way to keep up with the pace of even scientific research. How much more than for all the issues that we face in our daily lives? We face it at a rapid fire pace and so we need to be able to actually navigate this kind of world without repeatedly losing our bearing or losing our faith. How do we do that? How do we actually uh, form this kind of discernment? Well, we need to learn to actually uh, challenge and think about the stuff that we take in and what we let shape us. Right, we've seen this graph here before about the amount of screen time the average sort of millennial will take in. It's nearly 3,000 hours every year. It's a massive amount of time, especially when it's put next to here the average churchgoer that has only about 300 hours during the year that's spent on spiritual content. Now, now, when we talk about resilient disciples, that number actually gets a little bit bigger. It's closer now to 600 hours, which, which is great, but it's still nowhere near that 3,000-hour mark that most people are spending on their screens. And what we have to realize is that screen time actually comes with a message. Right? Everyone has a, a worldview that they're operating on, whether it's you know, overtly trying to be pushed forward or it's just subtly behind the scenes. Right, I think a really great example or a really easy example is to look at a romance movie. Right? If you watch you know, any sort of romantic comedy, the, the general plot is couple meets, there's some attraction, they sleep together, and then they have to figure out whether or not they like each other. Right? It's, it's really easy to kind of slip into the narrative that you're watching. Now, I don't think a romance movie is necessarily trying to convince you of any particular worldview, but after a while, you start to begin to celebrate this relationship, even though the Bible would say that's not how we ought to do it. Unless you think I'm just kind of picking on romantic comedies because I don't want to watch them. You know, I can do the same thing for action movies, right? You have these action movies where, where women are commodities and life is really cheap. In fact, it can be disposed with at any point. Right? That's easy to slip into that narrative and begin to think in that way and even begin to celebrate some of the things the Bible calls us not to celebrate. Right? Everything we watch has a kind of worldview behind it from the most you know, overt sort of anti-Christian atheist messaging that wants to convert you to the most innocuous. In fact, I would argue Disney probably has a far bigger impact on how we think than any atheist speaker could ever dream, right? Simply because it is in the background. Some years ago, some researchers tried to pin down, well, what do these, these new morals look like? How, how do they actually work out? And so this is, this is kind of the list they came up with. You need to find yourself by looking within. Don't criticize other people's choices. Chase after whatever it is you want most. Just enjoy your life. That's all there is to it. Let people think and believe whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Sex should be free and open as long as it's done with consent. 
Right? I'm sure you've heard things like this said either directly or indirectly. And it's tempting, I think, as Christians to either fall in line with this kind of thinking or, or just to reject it entirely. To say, you know what, well, this is what culture thinks. We think the opposite. We're going to reject everything that people are thinking. And is that right? Because isn't there an element of truth in some of this that we actually shouldn't throw away? Take a moment, just look at the first one again with me. It says the best way to find yourself is to look within. See, there's an element of truth there. The Bible actually calls us to look inward, to, to actually consider ourselves rightly, to think about the gifts that God has given us and how we can actually be using them. Yet the Bible also tells us that our identity is not ultimately found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus. And so we actually do need to consider ourselves. We do need to look at ourselves sometimes, and yet that's not where our identity is found. We actually need to be a little bit more discerning than simply to fall in line or reject it outright. We need to actually think through these things. Take another one, take number, number four here. The highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Now here's the thing, the Bible actually calls us pursue after joy. We're called to pursue after joy in our lives. In fact, Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? What's the goal of our lives? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We actually are called to the greatest joy. So if we are pursuing joy in, in our jobs, in our hobbies, in our spouse, or in our money, yeah, all of that is going to fail. But actually, if our joy, if the joy we are seeking is found in Jesus, it is a lasting joy. So I actually don't want to tell people to stop seeking after joy. Actually, I want, them to, I want to tell people that they should seek after a greater joy a better one that's found in Jesus Christ. I can't just reject this outright, nor can I fall in line with it either. I actually need to be more discerning. Or you can take the last one here, right? What do we do with sex, right? We actually don't wanna say all sexual expression is bad. It's easy to fall in line and say, well, you know what? All sex is bad. We should just do or get rid of it. Don't talk about it. Well, actually, that's something that God created. God created it and created it to be good and to be good within the confines of marriage. In fact, studies have been done on, on sexual fulfillment and where uh, couples have found that the greatest has always been in monogamous marriages. In fact, we ought to talk about these things in a biblical way, not just trying to reject the culture. And here's the, here's the thing we have to remember. Our goal as Christians is not to fight the culture. It's not to just be different or, or reject whatever the mainline thought is. Our goal as Christians is to be holy. Our goal as Christians is not just simply oppose whatever other people think. It's actually to be fully devoted all of our lives to God and give him all the glory. See, that's what we're actually called to do. It means we have to think through a biblical lens, not just a cultural or anti-cultural idea. Or maybe we could be even more blunt. If you think that your role as a Christian or is, uh, can be defined on a political spectrum, you probably don't understand what Jesus is calling you to. It's not 
or our goal is to showcase the holiness of God. And that means we actually need to be discerning about what is around us, not just reacting to it. So how do we do that? How do we actually develop this kind of discernment? Well, well, to answer that question, we're gonna spend the rest of our time in 1 Peter, all right? We've already heard it read once, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me. 1 Peter chapter one, you're gonna be in verse 13, all right? So let me read it for us. This is God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's as far as we're going to read this morning. We ask this question, how how do we be discerning of the culture around us? And I think Peter has actually given us a very good answer to that question. Peter is writing this letter to a group of churches in what was called Asia Minor, it's modern day Turkey. And he was writing to these churches and he calls them exiles because they were Christians who were living in a land, in a culture where they didn't belong where most people actually didn't think the way that they did. And so Peter is writing not only to encourage them to continue on, but to show them how they ought to act as Christians. How should they deal with those around them? How should they act as exiles? And our passage this morning has two commands for us. The first one that he gives in verse 13 is to set our hope on Jesus. The second we find in verse 15, that is to be holy, all right? And everything else in this passage is really hanging off of those two commands. And so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna walk through this passage and we're just gonna look at what uh, Peter is calling the church to do and ask the question, how is it that we are to be discerning? Look at verse 13 again with me. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope. There's our command, right? Setting our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is what Peter is calling the church to do. Do not be distracted by your culture. Don't be you know, pushed away. Instead, set, fix, establish your hope on Jesus Christ and in him fully. Last week we talked about the importance of knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but actually genuinely knowing him. And here it is again for us, right? If we miss this crucial first step, really everything else we're gonna talk about in this sermon and the rest of our series is going to be missed if we don't get this one right. So let me just start right here. Do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you know that he has died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and that if you here today would place your trust in him, your faith in Jesus Christ, you would repent of your sins, turn to follow him, you will be saved. That is the good news that is open for every single one who hears this message. That's the hope that we have in Jesus and that's what Peter is saying. Church, remember, set your hope there. That is ultimately what is most important. Do not lose sight amidst everything else that you're doing. Don't lose sight of what Jesus Christ has done. 
Set your hope fully. Not wavering, not just a little bit here and there, fully, completely, all of our hope is set and fixed in Jesus Christ and his coming. Do not be distracted from that. But you might say, okay, but, but how do I actually do that? Right? Life is full of distractions. There are a thousand things that, that pull my attention away. Right? There's chores, there's things to do around the house. There's school, there's job, there's kids, right? For some of you, your kids are literally distracting you right now, all right? And you're saying, how on earth am I supposed to be focusing on Jesus when my kids are running around everywhere? How is that possibly going to happen? How do I not have it move all the time? Well, Peter actually gives us the answer here. He actually shows us how these things can work together. It starts right at the beginning of verse 13. Look at it again. It says, Therefore, the verse starts off with this word, therefore, and that means we should probably try and pay attention. Why is it there? Well, it's connecting this command he's just given, set your hope with what he's just talked about. So just uh, let your eyes go back up a few verses to verse 10. Peter writes this. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, talking here about Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They were wondering, when is Jesus going to come? How is this going to happen? It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Here's what Peter is saying. The Old Testament prophets, when they were writing down the word of God, when they were trying to understand what would happen when the coming of Jesus, uh, when he would actually come, they wrote it down and they found that they were serving, not ultimately themselves, but us who live after the coming of Jesus, who can actually begin to put together all the dots of what God was doing to see the coming of Jesus so that our hope might be set in him. The Bible was written so that we would set our hope in Jesus. So Peter says, because the Bible is there for you, therefore prepare your mind. Actually, what that means, it means fixing our minds on the word of God. But let me just be real simple. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible. How do we set our hope on Jesus and not have it wander away all the time? It happens by simply reading our Bible. Take time out of your day. Set it aside simply to read the word of God. Right? Let the Bible begin to shape your thinking and how you see the world around you. You want to be discerning? You want to know how to do this cultural discernment? Learn the truth so well that anything false stands out like a sore thumb or a fox in a hen house, right? How do you, how do you learn to recognize counterfeits? How do you learn to recognize counterfeit money or anything like that? It's not by studying counterfeits, is it? No, it's, it's by studying the real thing. It's by feeling it and actually dealing with the real thing so that when something comes up that is a deviation from it, it stands out immediately. The same thing is for our faith. Know the truth of God's word so well that any forgery stands out. 
we want to know what it looks like to be discerning, we need to know our Bible. There's no substitute. There's no way around it. Fix your mind on the word. Set your hope on Jesus. In fact, this is one of the most important things we can learn to do. You remember the story of Jesus rebuking Peter? Right? This is the same Peter who's writing this letter. Back in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been telling his disciples that he was gonna go to the cross, he was going to die, and Peter took issue with that. Matthew chapter 16 says, Peter took him aside, Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here is one of the harshest rebukes Jesus has for his disciples. And why? It was because Peter was thinking and judging Jesus by his own cultural expectations, and Jesus rebukes him for it. Says, you have not set your mind on the things of God. And so when Peter now is writing this letter to the churches and saying, how should you respond? What does he say? He says, prepare your mind, get it ready, set it on the word of God. Do not be pulled away in all these other directions or distractions. See, Peter adds in this other line here, be sober-minded, right? Now, certainly this is talking about, you know, things like drugs or alcohol, things that, that literally, you know, affect how your mind works. But I think he actually has something more in intended here. I think he's talking about be free from influences that would change how we think, controlling influences. And and I think we could talk about things like addiction here, right? Things like pornography, gambling, gossip, even the praise of other people wanting to be liked. All of this can actually control how we think, how we act, and it's not in obedience to God. And so Peter calls us, be rid of these besetting sins, repent of them, have someone hold you accountable so that they are not controlling the way you think, but that your mind would be set on the word of God. Have someone hold you accountable to this. Paul will say, Colossians 3 verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind there, place it, put it, fix it, nail it down so that our minds aren't constantly being tossed around. So let me ask the question, what is your mind set on? Where does your mind go when it wanders? What dominates your thinking when you are just on your downtime? Is it on the word of God or is it somewhere else? Or maybe we need to ask, is your mind set anywhere? Is it just, uh, do we just let our minds wander constantly? Any influence that we come across just passes in unchecked, right? It can push us in a new direction every day. You turn on Netflix and you watch this documentary on saving the planet. And suddenly you're passionate about saving the planet. 
The next day, it's about you know, something going on in China, and you are passionate about that. The next day, it's dieting, and you are passionate about that. You're just being pushed around every single day by the newest trend, the latest idea, the newest passion project, and it spins you in circles constantly, and you're going nowhere. Actually, what it's doing is it's influencing how you think and uh, how you're going to act. It means we're going to be shaped more by our culture than by the Word of God. So where is your mind set? What, what shapes your thinking? Right, if I can be just a little bit cheeky here, can you name the starting lineup of the Canucks? Can you name the 12 apostles? Can you quote more from the office than you can from the Bible? Right, what has shaped our thinking more? I think if we're honest, we have been shaped a great deal by the culture around us. And so Peter calls this church who is being bombarded constantly with all the different ideas and distractions, both good and bad. He says, fix yourself, center yourself on the hope of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Fix your mind on the word of God. So how do we begin to learn this kind of discernment? starts by knowing the truth, and then it, we have to try and actually begin to challenge what we see and hear what comes to us. Do we challenge the things that we watch or read or hear online? Do we actually filter it through the word of God and say, is that biblical truth? If we wanna be a resilient disciple in this digital age, we need to be able to challenge things by the word of God, and I'm gonna say, even your own thoughts. You need to challenge your own thinking by the word of God. Just because it's in my head doesn't mean it's true. Let me give you an example. You, you, you can convince yourself that you are not loved, but here's the thing, the Bible says that's not true. Actually, Jesus does love you. You can convince yourself that your life is worthless, that it has no meaning, yet the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross so we could know God and he has prepared good works for us to do. We need to challenge even the thoughts in our head by the word of God. Prepare your mind, get it ready by the word, uh, by the word of God so that when you hear the forgeries, you're not knocked off balance. In fact, we recognize them as false and do not let them push us away from Jesus Christ. How do we be discerning? It's by knowing the word of God so well, knowing the truth that we are navigating away from it, away from falsehood. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we learn this discernment? How do we discern what God is calling us to do, what is good and right and perfect? It is the renewal of our minds by the Spirit of God through his word, transforming how we think and act to be more like him. Psalm chapter one starts this way. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
How do we begin to do this? How do we begin to be transformed by the word of God? We need to be meditating on God's word. Actually letting it sink and soak into our lives, not just reading it and passing it by. Here's a great test to see whether or not it's going to make an impact. If you can read your Bible, and when you stop reading it and you put it down, by the time you stand up, do you still know what it said? Look, I'll be honest, there are times where I have read my Bible, put it down, and thought to myself, what on earth did I just read? I can't remember any of it. Let me, let me encourage you, let me challenge you, do not let that be the case. Instead, spend some time, actually think about what God is saying. It is far better to read five verses and remember them than five chapters and forget it all. Do whatever it takes, take the time to think carefully, draw a picture, ask questions, journal beside it, whatever it is, so that the word of God is actually stuck in your mind by the time you stand up and leave and go to work or whatever you're gonna do, that the word of God is still with you through it all. Meditate on that word so that it permeates your entire mind and permeates your entire life. See, that's the goal that we're looking at. In fact, that's the second command that Peter gives to this church. Look back with me at our text. Verse 14, Peter writes, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, that is, before you were a Christian, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter here is quoting from the book of Leviticus in order to call the church to be holy, right? That is now that your mind is full of scripture, now that you are free from these controlling influences, uh, you are set on the hope of Jesus, act like it actually start to put it into practice, right? We can all, uh, we've probably met someone who, who has a Bible verse for every situation, right? Everything that comes up, they got a little Bible verse, they got a Bible verse here, they got a Bible verse there, they love to quote it, but they don't actually live like it. It doesn't actually uh, get reflected in their life. That's not what a resilient disciple does. A resilient disciple is one who pursues after the perfection of God himself, pursue after holiness. Did you notice that? The the holiness that we are called to pursue is the holiness of God himself. Jesus has a high bar for his disciples, or, or let me use the words of Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What we are called to is the standard of God himself. Is that what we're aiming for? Or or have we become pretty comfortable with good enough? See, Jesus actually calls us to a high standard to reflect the perfection of God himself in our lives. And hear me, we all still have a ways to go, but that doesn't mean that we lower the goal or the bar drops. No, we are still called to the holiness of God himself. But here's what I love about this passage. All right, pay attention really closely to what Peter is saying. He says, the standard to which we are called 
The holiness is the holiness of the one who called us. So here's what this means. It doesn't mean that we are expected to be holy before we can come to God. No, 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 in fact, it's the opposite. It's that God has called us to himself. He sent Jesus to come to die on the cross so we could be forgiven, so we are in relationship with him, so that our minds could then be filled with the word of God, that we could set our hope on Jesus Christ so we would begin to act like the one who called us in the first place. This is not a requirement to to become a Christian. This is the calling of those who are Christians. Reflect the God who called you. That is good news because it means we do not do it alone. No, in fact, we do this in relationship to God. And in fact, this is why Peter quotes from Leviticus. Now, I know Leviticus is usually the book that everyone just skips over, right? It's the book that we kind of get to in our Bible reading plans, and we're like, I don't know, it's all about sacrifices and what to do in the temple and all these washings and cleanliness. Like, I I don't know, whatever. I'm not going to do any of that because, let's be honest, none of us are going to a temple. We're not offering sacrifices, and we shouldn't. No, in fact, Jesus has come. And he is the one who has offered the sacrifice once for all. He has dealt with our sins. We come to God not because we can offer an animal, but because Jesus has stood in our place. But hear me, that means the calling on our life is that much greater. If the people of Israel were called to the holiness of God because they could approach through the blood of animals, how much more then are we who come through Jesus Christ called to the holiness of him who called us? We are called to this holiness as resilient disciples act like his disciple. Actually begin to put this into practice. Paul says the same thing, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In fact, it's the exact same thing that Peter is calling the church to do. Renew our minds in the word of God and then put it into practice in righteousness and holiness. Put the character of God on display in our lives. So how do we be discerning Christians? How do we be discerning Christians of this culture that is constantly changing around us? How do we be this kind of resilient disciple? It's by setting our hope on Jesus Christ, by fixing our minds on the word of God, and by living and pursuing holiness. See, we actually need all three. It's not a matter of of one or the other. We actually need minds conformed to the words of God. We need hearts that are fixed on Jesus, and we need hands that are acting in holiness, head, heart, and hands. All of who we are is to be dedicated to him. You want to know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. It means every part of our life is devoted to him. We are being transformed by the word of God. 
hearts fixed on Jesus so that we might display the glory of God and his holiness. Let us be disciples like that. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess, oh Lord, we are not always disciples like that. Father, we we fall so short. We stumble and, and we do not uphold the standard of your perfection. Yet, Lord, you have called us to yourself. You have sent Jesus that we might come to know you. Father, thank you for the gifts that you give. Thank you for the word of God to remind us, to call us back again and again to know you. Father, I pray, transform our hearts that we would long to know your word more and more. Lord, I pray, would we wake up tomorrow morning with a desire to read your word, to be transformed by what you have called us to do, to be able to act in holiness. Lord, I pray, transform us more and more each and every day into the likeness of Jesus. Sanctify us by your spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen.